Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to the Lockbox Podcast. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and today I'm here with Aaron Hinden. Aaron, thank you for being with me today. Jeff, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Well, let's see. I am a managing broker of a real estate team of, uh, with EXP up in Seattle. I actually live on Vashon Island, which is a small island off the coast of Seattle. If I get fancy, I tell people I live on a small island in the Pacific, and it always makes me feel better. But I love it here. I've been here for about 20 years in the Seattle area, Pacific Northwest. I'm originally from New York, so I talk fast. And, um, you know, I my trip goes from art school in New York to Albuquerque, New Mexico, because I my fine art degree makes me eligible to work in the food service industry. I don't know if everyone knows that, but I could work as a waiter anywhere. And um, I did. And I moved to Albuquerque and I started waiting tables. And then the baker in the restaurant I was working at quit. And I thought, oh, I know how to bake bread because I have an art degree. So I started baking bread in the restaurant and then decided I was going to open up a bakery. And this is, this will date me, but this was back when carbs were considered food. I don't know if you, you're old enough to remember when you could eat <laughs> carbs, but we opened a bagel shop and uh, it was great. We wound up selling it and moving to Phoenix for a few years and then to Seattle. And I've been here ever since. And I've been selling real estate since 2013. Awesome. Yeah. So what got you into real estate after that journey? Well, I talked to enough friends and who all thought I'd be really good at it. And I was uh, had been fired from a startup. Well, yeah. I was fired from a startup, a tech startup. I was a sales rep and they were uh, moving their sales team to New York. And I had already done New York and I'm not going back to New York and it's not going to happen. And it ended like that. And then I was sort of, I, I got, what happened was I, I picked up a job uh, selling credit repair services and I started cold calling my real estate friends, thinking I could find credit repair clients through realtors. And every one of them said, well, look, if you're going to do $100 a day selling this, you should sell real estate because $100 a day, you'll be a rich man. And you, you know, you're, you've got all the, you know, if you can do $100 a day, you should do real estate. And I thought, all right, fine. It took me about a year to figure out that they were right. And I did. I, I made the jump over to real estate at that point. So Awesome. So yeah. now 2013, you know, seven, eight years ago. So at this point, you've recently joined EXP. Uh, we talked a little bit before the podcast, right? You're mm -hmm. at KW and then joined EXP. And mm -hmm. so what's your transaction volume you know, at right now so that I can kind of gauge uh, where you are for the listeners? God, you know, it's funny because I never manage, I never measure the volume of, of the transaction value. I mean, I did 32 sides last year. Okay. That I track, I track my sides. And that was, you know, my a record year for me, which was shocking in a pandemic. And I'm on track to beat that this year. I always feel like I should know how much volume that is, like $50 million or what. And I don't, I just, I don't, I know how much I took home. I know how much was on my W9 from EXP. So it was like that, you know, 
my GCI after. So the GCI that I took home after my split with my team was 194. And I thought, oh, that's a good year in real estate. I'll take that. Okay. And at that point, were you with KW? No, EXP. So I've been with EXP since November of nine of 2019. So got it, got right it. before the pandemic, which was, I wasn't, it's funny because, you know, one of the big values of EXP or one of the pieces of the puzzle of EXP is that it's virtual. So there's no right. office. And truthfully, living on an island, I wasn't going to the office anyway. I mean, you you literally cannot pay me to go sit in a meeting and hear about other people's listings. I just do not get the value of sitting in a meeting and listening to other brokers talk about the listings they have coming up. I don't, I'll find it on the MLS if I have anyone looking. I don't need to sit here for an right. hour. And uh, so I wasn't going to meetings anyway. But then, you know, November 2019 is two or three months before no one went to an office again. <laughs> And yeah. people now realize they don't need to go to offices. There's not a big value add to that. So we switched over right before the pandemic. Yeah. Good timing. It was and great. I couldn't be happier with the, I mean, I was, I wanted to go, you didn't ask, but I wanted to go in 2018 and Christine, my partner, my team leader, didn't, she, look, I really love KW and she really loves KW. And and we, I just do. I just, I think Gary's a genius and I think he's got a great thing. And if you're getting started in real estate and you don't read the millionaire real estate agent, you're an idiot because it's the blueprint and there's just nothing. Great book. I, I, yeah. I just don't have a bad thing to say about KW, but three ways to make money, one way to make money, three ways to make money. It was like, this is a better deal. EXP is just a better deal. But we really liked our office and we really liked our team leader. I love my team leader, actually. She's a wonderful woman and I really do have nothing but love and a lot of tears when we finally made the move over. But I couldn't come home to my wife and say, look, honey, we're I'm going to turn down making over 100% commission on my deals. I'm going to turn down an exit strategy so I'm not slinging houses when I'm 75 and I'm going to turn down lower splits because I really like my team leader. What? You know, she couldn't do it. So finally, we just, we made the leap and it was literally everything we wanted it to be. It was so far beyond what I thought, how much more money I was going to make. It was crazy. It's a powerful story. And when you look at the data and the stories of all the other top brokers that have done it, it becomes a no brainer. It's just like- It is just a no brainer. I don't, the only thing I run into when I'm talking to people about, you know, coming over is it looks too good to be true, which is- I get it. It really does. It's not sustainable or it's this or it's that. And it's, I get it. It looks too good to be true. I do get that. It's not, but it looks that way for sure. Yeah. EXP is not going to make it another year. Yeah. They have 40,000 agents. <laughs> we could talk for days about that. I'm an EXP agent myself. And most of my top clients over the last four years, interestingly, have left KW, Compass, and you know all the other ones. For EXP, and I notice a trend, huh? Yeah. All of these heavy hitter top brokers that are my clients are moving to this model. That's worth a look. And so I ended up joining EXP under one of them. And ironically, even though I was, you know, eighty percent of my clients are residential real estate agents and brokers, and only like twenty percent are commercial. I saw a lot of potential in commercial, and so when I joined, I ended up joining commercial and you know focusing on multifamily and five units and up. But the, the model is the same. Luckily, EXP just launched commercial earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really, really excited uh, about everything that's ahead. So my initial question was, you went 32 sides last year. 
you said that was you know record breaking and now you're looking at even more this year mm -hmm. so what was the actions or like the levers that you pulled to get you from say like 10 15 transactions to mm -hmm. over 20 to breaking 30 you yeah. know what were some of those things yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it really was. It was double. I doubled my production. Went from 16 sides. And I'd been hovering around between 15 and 24 sides for years. You know, it was in that range. You know, and in Seattle, the median price was 700 and something. So, you know, the volume is I could support a family of four on 15 to 20 sides. But the thing, and it's it was I was really looking at it because I was like, well, what what did I do differently this year? Because it's it was the middle of pandemic. So I had the best January quarter I had ever had. And then the pandemic came and I had no business in the April quarter. And so now I'm coming out of the April quarter with no business and thinking, all right, well, what am I, you know, I got a family to feed. I, this is not going to work. And a couple of things that I started to do made the difference was one is I shifted my mindset. And I know that's sort of ephemeral and it's not quite an action, but there were things I did, actions I took to shift my mindset. So one thing is I we have a morning huddle every day on our team, 8 a.m. morning huddle. And I started using those to really get myself empowered to, rather than just sitting there listening to someone talk, I was like, all right, this is my opportunity to create my day. And the other thing that I did was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, Landmark Education or Landmark Worldwide. They put on programs called the Landmark Forum. It's And it's very much about, it's a personal development transformational education program that I've been in, involved with for 20 plus years. But I first thing I did was I started looking at the future that I was living into and the future that I had created, that, that I hadn't created, that just the default future was worry and <laughs> upset and it allowed me to really distinguish that the more worried I got, the less productive I got and was able to, through, you know, the work that they train you in is be able to take that future and put it back over there. So over there, whatever I'm worried about is over there, which left nothing in the future. And I could create creating a business I was proud of and standing in the possibility of a business that I was proud of. I got on those morning huddles and I was creating for myself. What are the actions I would what are the actions a proud person takes, right? And I started getting dressed for work, <laughs> you know, which for me isn't a big deal. It's just a clean black t-shirt, but still, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I don't know if you, we're now sort of coming out of it, I guess, but really in the beginning, it was really sort of heavy. So doing that and then just getting on the phone and doing the lead gen the way it's designed. The five, I mean, our team makes five promises every single day of things that we're going to do. And making those promises, the things that if these if these five things happen, I know my business will move forward. And putting in the three hours of lead gen every day, every day, three hours of lead gen, regardless of whether I feel like it or not, or I want to or not, or anything. And in the this is now June, July, August, just making the calls, making the calls, making the calls, following up with people, doing the work. And sure enough, I'd say like magic, but that's sort of like saying gravity is magic. Gravity is not magic. If you drop the pen, it falls. If you make the calls, it works. It's not magic. It's you make the calls. And really, prior to doing any of that, I was just, I don't know about you, but I, I have a propensity to talk to myself a lot and not be terribly productive. This was the action I took was just put that aside, make the calls. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And 
I really like that one-liner. If you drop the pin, it falls. If you make the calls, it works. And, you know, with that being said, it's so simple, but a lot of times the simplest ideas or actions are the ones that are the most brilliant when you execute them and you take that consistent execution over a long period of time, they start to compound. You know, Darren Hardy talks about it in the compound effect, pumping the well, right? Where is that? I just First, it's really hard to pump. Oh yeah, you have the yeah. book. At first, it's really hard to pump. Nothing's coming out. And then once the water starts flowing, now it's super easy to keep the water flowing. And if you let your hand off that yeah. that well pump though, it stops. the water goes all the way back down underneath the ground and you got to do the process again. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting thing too, because that for sure has been, you, you want to know the other thing that shifted for me last year was um, particularly is the letting go of once the water starts flowing. And I have a practice now of every day talking to my coach, not every day, every week talking to my coach, where the first thing she asks me is, what are you worried about? What are you making yourself crazy about? Because she knows and I know that if I'm obsessed with what's going on with me in my head, I'm not going to take the action. So we get all that out of my head. And then I have been a reliable over the course of my life for taking my foot off the gas when things start working. I am the prime example of if things start working, I take a vacation. I'm like, cool, it's working. Like I have to continually prove perpetual motion doesn't exist. Like I have to keep testing it. And I gave up testing it this year, last year. I was like, okay, I refuse to stop pumping this. And uh, like I said, I'm on track to beat last year because I'm just, oh, this is the other thing that I did. This is interesting because this has got to be right there in the, if you read that, you know, um, Darren Hardy, or I just got done with Atomic Habits. And if you're at all engaged in it, I turn, I forget who talks about this, but I turned the thermostat up. I had a floor of doing two deals a month and I turned the, made the floor four deals a month. And I just was like, okay, well, I'm not going to, because doing two deals a month. I'm no longer satisfied. I'm no longer satisfied with two deals a month. You know, two deals a month is 24. And I had done 16 the year before. And I've been hovering in that, you know, 15 to 20, because sometimes you're not going to hit your goal. But if it's two deals a month and you miss and you only do one, okay. You turn the heat up. really important point. You turn the heat up and it's like, no, I'm at two deals this month. That's not acceptable. I got to do four. And that's made an enormous difference turning the heat up. Yep. I have a story about that. So when I was in college, my freshman year, I was paying for it myself. I realized, oh my gosh, freshman year, first semester was way more expensive than I thought it was going to be. And prior to that, I had been working restaurants throughout my life. So just like you, I had restaurant experience. And actually throughout my life, I ended up accruing about eight years of of on and off server bartender experience. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. And I then was offered the opportunity to sell Cutco, to do direct sales with Cutco. And I realized, oh my gosh, I could make $100 an hour or more if I hone in my skills, go on an appointment and close someone, you know, on a thousand dollar set and make 10%. And then 10%, you know, my commission goes up as I increase in career sales. Whoa, this is a cool concept. (laughs) Like, and so I got back from freshman year, first semester, dead broke. You know, barely had the money to put into my truck to get home from college. And I was looking at the amount of days that I had for winter break, oh, 30 days. There's not enough shifts to pick up at restaurants yeah. to make the amount of money I need to go back and pay for spring semester. Yeah, and good. so 
I walked into my Cutco office and said, hey, you guys told me that if I ever needed to make a certain amount of time and a, or a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time to come to you with that number and you'd help me break it down to the amount of phone calls I needed to make. I need help with that. This is how much money I need before I go back for spring semester. So I had a huge why and I went and I made the phone calls. I did the work. And throughout that that break, I then started to just crush it, you know, in off season, like summer is the season for yeah, Cutco. Yeah. But because of my energy, I, you know, pulled out all the stops, made all the phone calls, did the thing and bam, I hit the numbers, right? But here's the interesting part. And this is circling back to the, to the like, are you hungry or are you yeah. happy thing? I then went back to college and I got these email invites to the kickoff conference in January. And I was like, what's the kickoff conference? Well, it turns out the time that I was grinding and working super hard, it fell at the same time as a corporate wide sales competition. And I had placed fourth. <laughs> I didn't even know. I yeah. didn't even know. And so I show up at the conference. I go on stage. There's a bunch of reps there from all over. And I'm like, oh, interesting. This is bigger than I thought, right? This is not just this one little satellite office in San Diego that I was working out of. Like there's 800 offices. It was cool to see yes. that. But here's the statement that one of the top managers told me as he shook my hand on stage. He said, are you hungry or are you happy? And at that point, I was thinking, I'm freaking ecstatic, dude. Right. What do you mean? But that didn't, it took years to sink in because I then went back to college, took my foot off the pedal. All of a sudden, come May, I'm broke again. Like I had spent all the money. I'd stopped doing the, the things yeah. that got me that level of success. And there I was, hungry again. And so yeah. it made me think, hmm, when I got to that level of like, okay, my basic needs are met, mm -hmm. I became happy quote unquote sure, but really the better word is probably content like yeah. okay yeah. that's good enough so nowadays i i find ways to turn up the heat yeah you turn yeah, up that thermostat so that it starts to become a problem it's so weird you know it's you know the one thing you said jeffrey that i think is worth un really worth underlining and teasing out and, and making sure that people get it in the right context because i know this is how you meant it is you do need a certain mindset to continue to grind you know, when it's not working. But I think people mistake being inspired for grinding, you know, like there's, where was I? I just was listening to this. This must've been on the Atomic Habits. I was listening to it. And it was, it must've been a quote from someone about passion, how you don't want to get confused with, I need passion. You didn't need passion to make those calls. You didn't need passion to make those calls. You needed to be dedicated. You needed to be committed. You needed to make the calls. You know, it's inspiration follows perspiration. It's your, that, you know, that's a little quote, but it's inspiration follows perspiration. I don't remember where I read that, but it's, it makes, that's the way it works. If you wait to get inspired, you know, Pablo Picasso, he said, I, I don't, I'm not waiting to get inspired. I go to work. Yep. He just shows Let's up, and just draws, and you just yeah. showed up and made the calls. Then you got happy. Then you got all the results. So then you're like, yeah, this is great. So I think it's yeah. really important. And this is, I know you're all action-based and that's, you know. It's the way to be. Yeah. So I want, I want to talk about the action results cycle because yeah. as, as I then achieved success and started to learn personal development and then teach reps what I was learning, I taught that experience of the action results cycle. Simple, two steps. You focus on actions, you generate results, you focus on it, right? But if you focus on results, you might create some actions that'll get you there, 
and then you let your foot off the pedal. So right. once you identify your key productivity indicators, your leading mm -hmm. actions, yeah. which in sales capacities is often phone calls, but it, it could be for a real estate agent listing appointments, right? Yeah. It could be uh, appointments booked. You know, it could be different KPIs that are leading indicators, yeah. not your commission, but the actions it takes to get you there, right? Ooh. And so I broke down that cycle and then I heard it in so many different other ways throughout all my personal development, right? The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, not the art of war, but the war mm -hmm. of art. It being an art major, have you ever read that? No. Oh, it's a phenomenal book about the creative process and it talks right. about doing the work. You don't wait for the uh, passion to come because passion is an emotion yeah. and motion creates emotion, right? right? And so you focus Great. on being a pro, you show up every single day, you know, yeah. if you're a writer, 9 a.m. strikes, you're writing it's, no matter what. Yeah, totally with you. <laughs> and yeah. then the genius comes through that, right? The genius, you'll have terrible days, terrible days, and then boom, stroke of genius. And yeah. if you wouldn't have shown up and written that day, it wouldn't have happened. That's right. And so the same concept comes back to real estate. And that's why this podcast is so focused on actions. And so, you know, for, for you, it seems like that action is phone calls. Is that right? Like yeah, that's well, your KPI. We, well, no, we measure on the team. We measure, I think, four things. We measure conversations per week. Okay. We measure uh, for the newer agents, open houses. How many did they do? We measure appointments set, professional and client facing and names added to the database. Nice. And those are the ones that we, if we say, if you, you know, you do your 50 conversations every week, add 10 names to your database, six open houses a month and three appointments a week You're in set. a year, you'll be making six figures. You'll be the agent you want to be in a year too. If you know, if you're a new agent, you're training. If you're a new agent. I love that. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you're doing those numbers and you're not, you're not getting the, the results you want, then it's efficiency. Then it's uh, your scripting, your conversations, what you're saying, how you're saying it, whatever. We can go to work on it, but you know, you can't coach someone's swing if they're not swinging the bat. You can't, <laughs> can't coach a player not in motion. You got to get them in motion. And that's mostly where you know, people want to get it right and then act. And that's just not going to happen. Right. It's never happened. Man, so just, yeah. Rafael Nadal practices tennis seven hours a day, seven hours a day. You know, the, the people that are excellent at what they do have mastered the unbelievable, stunningly boring nature of what it is to excel. You just have to go through it. it you're just going to be bored. There's just the unbelievable boringness of consistency, you know, is everything. You've got to get through that resisting that boringness. Boringness is a horrible word. There's another word for that. I can't think of what it is. Dullness, monotony. I don't know. But It's so true. And it, it is the life of a sales representative. You know, we're the highest paid people in the world, but we have to do the boring, monotonous task of outreach, lead generation, follow-up, right? Just doing the thing, and following what's day. in your calendar, doing it just boom, 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 plugging away. And, uh, you know, that that is part of it. And so part of my company's mission with my marketing agency for mm -hmm. real estate was to automate some of that, not automate the conversation, right? but automate teeing up the conversation. Because some of that follow-up, for especially for leads that are generated online and aren't ready yet, you know, they're maybe nine, 12 months out. Well, you know, what is happening in that nine to 12 months to ensure, or at least hedge your bet to the best of your ability that 
that person who you had a first contact with nine months ago isn't going to find another agent nine months later once they are ready, right? What kind of follow-up are you doing? How are you educating them? And so my goal, and we've been successful and, and we continue to innovate on that, was to help outsource or not outsource, but automate some mm-hmm. of that follow-up after the lead is generated because right. it's so key. And, and you know, agents already have so much to, to worry about, focus on follow-up with. I wanted them to focus on the bottom funnel, the people that yeah. are ready now, but then keep right. filling the top and guiding those people through the process to the bottom. Yeah. So, and even then, you know, it that then the bottom of the funnel gets bigger and you got to keep expanding and that's where teams come in and the whole world. Yeah. yeah, that's totally the name of the game. It's great. I'm curious, where do you see the real estate industry going? You know, what are your five, 10 year projections with? I, I avoid projections as much as I can. I really do. I think there's a there's a great Freakonomics. I'm a big fan of Freakonomics Radio. Have you ever listened to the Freakonomics podcast? I've heard of uh, it. No, fabulous, just unbelievable. You should check it out. We're going to share books. I want to get the more of art, but Freakonomics. If you listen to the podcast, anyway, they do a thing about the ridiculousness of predictions and how bad human beings are at predictions and why we're so bad at predictions and how why it matters and why it doesn't matter at any rate. So with all that said, I don't necessarily, I don't have a ton of fear about like the automated solutions that are, you know, threatening realtors, you know, Good. the Zillow and the rocket mortgages and the press button. Yeah. And I think there's a certain number of people that are going to use that. And it may even be the majority of people consumers wind up using that. But I think there's always going to be business for people that don't consider themselves, you know, mass consumers, you know, like the people that want and need the personalized service that it takes to buy the single most expensive thing you're ever going to buy and the most complex transaction you're ever going to participate in for the most emotionally laden time of your life. I think that there's a limit to how much consumer would be willing to have that look like an Uber, ordering an Uber. You know, I get DoorDash and they forget the spoons. I, this literally just happened. I was traveling with my family. I was telling you before we started that we drove down to Encinitas. And the last night we ordered Indian food from DoorDash and they showed up at the hotel with no napkins, no bowls, no spoons, no silverware at all, which really makes Indian food difficult to eat. Uneatable, right? I mean, it's not like we ordered burgers or something, right? And that's DoorDash. That was a hundred bucks and that was DoorDash and that was it. So yeah, I'm going to trust my home transaction to a couple of clicks on the internet. I don't get it. I don't get how that's going to pan out well for people. So yeah, I I think the bigger problem is the affordability issue and what we're going to do about the gross inequity in, um, in people's wages and the gross inequity, what it takes to actually live in this country. I think that's a much bigger concern. On that point, great points, by the way. And I love the analogy to DoorDash. I think one of the biggest opportunities for uh, increasing home ownership is all of the stupid regulation around self-employed people. It's insane. So ridiculous. Especially now. now, Today, now, as a self-employed business owner, I'm less qualified than when I was on a salary making 60K a year from a company. I hear you. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm making more money ever than in my life, gratefully and blessed to say that. But I literally did not get approved for a refinance in the fall. And I am now ended up selling that property anyway. But 
it was part of my decision factor of like, okay, I'm making much more than I did before. It should be not a problem. But because I'm self-employed, all of a sudden, oh, hey, we need two years yeah. of your business's income. And we need to, you know, oh, but what passed over to you? Are you a W-2 in your business? And then we have to average the income that you took from those two years. And it's just like, it. if you have a W-2 job from a normal company, it's like, oh, then give me your last two pay stubs. You could have just gotten hired and gotten fired a month later. So I think that's a huge opportunity where we can empower business owners that are self-employed with high, you know, high net worth, high income to afford houses that they can't afford or to be qualified, I guess, for the, uh, the totally. loans for the houses. That they can and afford. it's, I don't think there's any coming back from the gig economy. I don't think we're going the other, I don't think we're coming back to large corporate, you know, scenarios anymore. So yeah, we do have to do something about that. And it's, uh, you know, on one hand, on the other side of that coin, there's the, whatever there is to be responsible for from the you know, the days of ninja loans, you know, I don't, you know, the no, no income, income no job. Like that was, that was a thing that, that was part, this whole thing is partly a response to that. Right. And the so pendulum it, swung. Yeah. Right. It's just now the it's, rubber now band. It's way over here. Right back in the, yeah. You know, I come back a little bit. Um, but I hear you. I think that's a big opportunity. I think you're right. So let's talk about books. You, you know, you, I'm sure you have some really good books. You've already mentioned a couple. Uh, you know, we've talked about a few in this podcast. So what are, you know, one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? Well, I think number one is always think and grow rich. I think, I don't know how you get- Should be some, read before you leave high school. Before you leave, it's just, it's just the best book. It's, you know, I read it every year and it's, there's nothing that comes close to think and grow rich if you're going to be, you know, someone who's going to generate wealth. It's number one. And I've yet to meet anyone who's going to argue that with me. It's like, oh, no, you know, it's, you know, and it's funny because it's, you know, I mean, couldn't have been written in a di more different time and more different climate than this. But it's the principles of it are, are solid or the most solid foundation. So there's that. But uh, more recently, one of the books that I think really made a huge difference for me is a book uh, by a guy named Michael McCallowitz, and uh, it's called Profit First. And as a, have you heard of it? You read yes. it? Yeah, it's just unbelievable. I had a bakery. I started a bakery for nine years and it was constantly a struggle, constantly a struggle to, to make money at the business. And when I read the book, which was years later, I'm now already a real estate agent, probably 25, 30 years since I had the bakery, but I read the book and I was like, oh my God, where was this information? Where, why could I not have seen it? And, uh, I mean, I know you know this, but for the people watching, it really is, it's about paying, it's not just paying yourself first. It's not just, you know, Agmondino and pay yourself first and great, but it's the literal how to do that and why to do that and the downside of not doing that. And, you know, I mean, one of the takeaways, and I'll just give this because I know you got real estate agents that watch this and this has made it such a difference for me because I've gone down the other road and I have proven that this is a stupid thing to do <laughs> is... Every paycheck now, every commission check I get, I take my 12%, which is what I pay for my accountant recommends I pull, is 12%. And I get on the IRS website and I prepay my next year's taxes. So I'm not saving that money in an account. I don't pay quarterlies. I don't have that money. It's not my money. I don't have to think about it. And the sense of freedom and the sense of peace of mind that I have, that I'm not worried about next year's taxes is unbelievable. And then I don't have to worry about money sitting in my account for the quarter, because again, I am not reliable for leaving that money sitting in a bank account. Right. I, if that money is sitting there in a bank account, I will borrow it, borrow it. And 
which is another word for screwing myself in eight months, which is a hundred percent screwing myself. So, yeah. but that was the kind of thing I got out of that book. And that has enormously freed me up. So that's a big book. And um, Think Grow Rich, Profit First. I just finished Atomic Habits and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know? that was mentioned in a podcast last week as well. So those, yeah. those are great books. Yeah, yeah I mean, those, that in and of itself, are, are those are all phenomenal yeah. suggestions. You know, a couple from me that are mandatory, yeah. in my opinion, are yeah. Slight Edge. Oh, I don't know it. Psycho-Cybernetics. Oh my God, this is great. These are three, I got to write these down. Hang on, oh, I don't have my pen. And The War of Art. Yeah. Okay, good. And then, and then the sequel to The War of Art by the same author is Turning Pro. Turning Pro? All, all four of those are life changers, game changers, nice. and different reasons, really. All right, good. you're um, going to email them to me. I'm not going to write them down, but you're going to, when we do a wrap up, you're going to email me those names because, and I'll just get on Audible. And because, yeah. you know, I mean, we spend so much time in our cars that listening to the books is, you know, oh, I love God, and I started listening that at, like, at one and a quarter speed. Oh, it's, it's game changer as well. Game changer. I'm like, oh, yeah. I can do that. That's unbelievable. It's great. Yeah. All right, so, great. I'm curious about your referral to new business. You know, you're, what's the percentage of referral I'm, to new business? I'm about 85% referral at this point. Okay. Yeah. And I, then, I, the other 15% is first time home buyer classes I teach. Okay, cool. And with the referrals, if you're 85% referrals, I mean, you must have some systems in place to generate more referrals. So yeah. I, can you shed some light on that? Yeah. I am. Um, ruthless with staying in touch with my past clients. And I do, I don't use send out cards because I really had a bad experience with that company, but I use something similar. It was called banner season. Now it's called something else. I don't know what it's called now. I suppose I should know because there's a re like a referral thing I could get from it if anyone signs up for it. But I send out cards. I make personalized hard copy, physical snail mail cards every six weeks or so cost me a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, I write some personal stuff about the market and whatever. So they get a card for me. I have text drip campaigns that go out every quarter to those past clients, you know, so that's automated. I think I you click send and it's, I wrote enough for like a three year campaign or something. And it's every quarter. They just like, Hey, who's your favorite realtor? You know, anything like that, nothing major. And then I call people at least two times a year phone, just leave them a voicemail if I have to. So it was like that. Then we do events. Uh, we obviously last year we stopped doing events, but work like, for example, I'm always looking for like how I can, you know, stay relevant to them. So one thing I'm doing with my a great lender that I've done probably 25 deals with over the last seven years, maybe, maybe 30 deals, we're going to buy a whole bunch of wine. And I found a place that does small two glass pours in bottles. So we're going to buy a two pack or three pack of those and send them to all our clients. And we'll do a virtual wine tasting. We have a sommelier on my team. So we're going to do that and um, invite people, but just, you know, I've rented the, the movie theater where I live and shown the Super Bowl, right? Like that we've rented this movie theater and we did a, the premiere of straight out of Compton. And we did the premiere of Incredibles too, obviously different audiences, but you know, <laughs> things like that. And then, um, you know, I am all over, social media. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over LinkedIn regularly, just both providing some 80, 20 LinkedIn is all real estate, con not real estate content. Like here's my open houses this weekend. I am a big, do not tell me about your open houses. I do not care about your open houses. I don't think anyone cares about your open houses. I cannot believe people still post. Here's this listing. I really, so I'm always just creating video content about 
buying and selling and what it takes to win in this business. I do every Monday, I do Millionaire Monday on LinkedIn, where I'm posting for agents, things about them, how to maximize their value. And then on Fridays, I do first time home buyer Fridays because first time home buyers have a place in my heart. And um, I do videos about that. And then I'm Facebook 80-20, 80% personal stuff, 20% business stuff. And um, three, four times a day, something, you know, either stupid meme, something goofy or some real estate related content, but mostly goofy stuff about my family. I mean, you know, every one of my clients knows that I am, you know, a Met fan, a Seahawks fan, a fan of my Traeger smoker, a fan of whiskey, Black Lives Matter. I'm a big proponent of find your voice, use your voice, be you, be somebody, be you. Don't, you don't have, you are not out. If you're out to be a generic agent, you will wind up in the mix with every other agent in the world. And you, you right. don't want that. So that's how I stay. That's the systems I have. And I have regularly posting stuff like that. Right. No, that makes total sense. And, you know, I like the the high touch multi-platform approach. It's, it's yeah. really good. And focusing on different things for different platforms, the 80-20, 80% personal. I think a lot of agents, they become agents and then all of a sudden it's all real estate. And you know, it's a hundred percent just listing photos, listing this, listing that, listing that, just sold. And people get turned off because now it's like a perpetual ad that your your social media account becomes. If you look at the biggest influencers in real estate, it is 80% personal. It's them and their family, and it's Ooh. this and that, and it's them on a podcast, and it's them golfing, and it's that, and then it's like, oh hey, just sold this three million dollar listing. And then it's, you know, back to it. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. No one's interested. I mean, it took me yeah. a while to get it. It took me a real yeah. while to get that. But um, people buy yeah. into you as a person. Yeah. They totally do. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the other reason why when we left K-Dub, it was like, my team leader was like, well, what if, you know, the stock prices or this or that? I was like, look, if it doesn't work, I'll come back. I got nothing to lose here. I mean, I got to make some business cards or something, but I got nothing to lose. No one ever hired me because I was a K-Dub agent. No one right. ever hired someone because of the bro where I hang my license. It's insane. So if I have to move brokerages every two every year to find something that works, who cares? No one. It's not that big of a hassle. So that was, yep. you know, yeah. So they want they're buying into you. They're buying you. That's right. hundred percent. And I want to ask you, like, is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you want to elaborate on from earlier? No, I, th I think that, you know, given the thrust of what we're out to create with agents watching, you know, I think that's the biggest deal is, you know, do the work, smile and dial, <laughs> you know, you can leave it at that. That is why that's the thing. Smile and dial. You get, when we get new agents on the team, it is always the biggest hurdle to get people over the unbelievable monotony of Call what it is in the job. But you just don't get there from anywhere. And it's monotonous for me. I mean, I'm eight years in and I'm, you know, I'm 85% referral and 15% first time operators, but it doesn't do me any good. I still got to get on the phone and talk to those people and do the follow up and do all the stuff. And there's no avoiding the grind. There just isn't, you know, it's not the, if you want to end it on something, the promise of EXP is that you don't have to do it forever. You know, there's actually a built-in exit strategy that you don't have to do it forever. You do it for long enough and then there's stock and then there's residual and you are, you can leave and still have income, which is mind blowing to me because that's the value. Most agents with no exit strategy, I mean, and I didn't have one, you know, I was better prepared right. for the zombie apocalypse than I was for what I was going to do things, when I'm 70. Two things with that. 
most entrepreneurs don't go into business with an exit strategy in mind. Knowing that, you know, I went into business day one with my marketing agency with the intent to have a successful exit. That's a clear exit strategy. When it comes to real estate, the second thing I want to point out is how many real estate agent retirement parties have you been to? Zero. It's because they don't happen. At least they haven't until now. So that's right. that's why I also joined EXP. And you know, if anyone has questions about that from either myself or Aaron, um, they know how to contact me. But how can they contact you? Well, the easiest way, I guess, is either on LinkedIn or Facebook, which are my two main platforms. And it's just my name, Aaron Hinden and Seattle. And Or you can find me at Christine and Company, which is my team, Christine's team and my partner, christine-and-company.com. And I'm sure I'm contactable on that website. Yeah. And th those are the easiest ways to, to get a hold of me. My email is aaron at cnco.me, but you can put that in the show notes if people want to yep, get a hold. Absolutely. Aaron Hendon, everyone, artist, baker, real estate agent, <laughs> and uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. So Definitely thank you for real the pleasure. insights and the conversation. Yeah. A really great conversation. Thanks, man. You got it. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.